you have your Bibles there in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be studying a few verses here this morning as we finish up our series in Real Christianity. As we've been studying that this summer, I hope that you've enjoyed going through the book with us. If you haven't, uh, there's still a chance and opportunity to do that. We still have the books on sale for you. Take one. We'd love for you to use that as a resource in your own personal growth and as you uh, invest in other people, as, as, as we disciple new converts, as we see them come to know Christ, a great tool to uh, at least get a start and as, as you study and, and help um, others grow in their faith. And so I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I've had a lot of great conversations around the different concepts that, that have been unpacked over these last 13 weeks, believe it or not, and we're already at the end. Uh, be in prayer for the fall season here at Fairview as we'll be looking at a short series on the home, gospel-shaped parenting, and I'll be preaching the first message in that next Sunday. Also in the month of August, it's somewhat unique, so I'll be preaching some sermons on that in August, but also sprinkled in and around. We'll also have some missions-based, missions-focused messages as well, since August is our missions month. And I am really excited about our missions month here in the month of August as we just take a whole month to focus on how we're making a global impact around the world. And in fact, the third week or the second week of August, you'll be hearing from several of our folks who are able to take missions trips this summer. They'll be giving missions trips reports, and then we'll be previewing some of the missions trip uh, goals that we would like to see in 2020. Can you believe we're going to be saying 2020 in just a few months? My, how time flies when you're busy and having fun. It's good to see you this morning. I'm looking forward to sharing with you this last message here uh, in Real Christianity in this series entitled Growth Points. Growth Points. And so with that, let's read three verses here in Philippians chapter number one, and we'll start reading in verse nine. Philippians one, verse nine. Paul is uh, writing his letter to the church of Philippi, and he says here in verse nine that this was what he was praying for. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, and that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So three verses, and uh, looking forward to sharing with you what God has laid on my heart. Shall we pray? Father, uh, we ask for you to do what no human being here today can, and that is, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? Um, Father, thank you that I get to be a messenger, but Lord, the message is what's important. And so I pray that today the message would be clear, that you would help us today to continue to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, as I look across this room, I know many of these folks, I've known them for years, I'm so thankful for the relationships that we have forged and built over these many years. And many of them I know to be believers. They show fruit of that in their life. And Father, uh, across this room, there's guests here today. Father, I, I pray that for all of us today, we would grow in our understanding of the gospel, that we would live that out. Father, I know that we're all hungry for truth today. So would you give us truth that will continue to transform us? As uh, we realize, Lord, we confess that now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And so, Father, continue to open our eyes to truth. And may that truth transform us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As Paul begins his letter here to the church of Philippi, uh, we've been studying several different passages of Scripture. Last week we looked at the prodigal son, and I heard several of you had great conversations even afterwards about different aspects of that story. Uh, that story is a very familiar one, and there's so much that we even to this day don't fully know about that. I can't wait to ask God different details about, about those, those questions that I still have as I read those things. But, but here in Philippians 1, we see that Paul is beginning his letter to the church of Philippi, and he shares with the church that he is praying specifically for four things for the Philippian believers. Four things. Number one, he prays here in verse 9. Notice it in the text. He prays that their love would abound that their love would abound. He says, and, I, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. Um, the reality is we can always be growing in our love for God and in our love for one another. Um, 18 years ago almost, I married my wife, and I can say, I hope I can say, that my love for her has grown. Um, as we have relationships in our life with our church family, with, with our family, with, with people all around us, I, the prayer that Paul has here for the church of Philippi is that they would grow in their love for one another. One of the reasons God calls us together as a church is that we would grow in our love for one another. Now, that love's not always easy, is it? Sometimes it's hard to love those you know the best. Sometimes it's easier to love strangers. But Paul says here, love one another, that, you would, that your love would abound yet more and more. But notice he says it's a certain kind of love. He says that your love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul in this letter is basically warning the Philippian believers that they could become easy prey for false teachers if in their interest of being loving, they were uncritically to accept everything that these false teachers were presenting. In fact, he's going to hit false teaching in, over in chapter 3, verses 2 and 18 and 19. And so Paul says here, yes, I want you to grow in your love, but that love has discernment. That love has limits, and it seeks to protect from harm. And so the reality is, is sometimes the most loving thing we can do is stand for truth in a loving way. And so Paul was saying here that he wanted their love for one another to grow, but that also that that love would grow in knowledge and discernment. So that was the first thing that Paul prayed for, for the churches of Philippi, that their love would grow for one another. But then number two, notice this in verse 10, that they would approve things that are excellent. He says that ye may approve things that are excellent or that are, that are best. The word approve here in this passage means to distinguish. It means to distinguish. The idea of seeing through to the heart of the matter that's involved, seeing the big picture. What is Paul praying for here for, for, for this church? He's praying that they would be able, in the midst of competing issues and concerns, to see what is truly important and deserving of highest priority. Approve the things that are excellent or that are best. The reality is in churches, so often, if we're not careful, we have what they call mission creep. We have that right now in our federal government. Can I get a witness? The original mission of federal government was what? To protect its citizens. That was the main purpose of government. Romans 13, it's all there. Just a little sidebar here. It was to protect its citizens and to provide for the common defense. But somewhere along the way, mission creep happened, and now they're trying to provide cradle-to-grave services that can never truly be sustained. And so, not to get political this morning, but, but the reality is, is 
if that can happen in government, it can certainly happen in homes, as we'll talk about in our gospel-shaped parenting series. It, it can certainly happen in churches. The mission can creep. And so Paul says here, you're going to have a lot of things going on, but, but I want you to be able to approve those things that are excellent. Paul is praying that his readers would be able to see what is truly important and deserving of priority, the gospel, that they would be able to make, make wise decisions in light of what's most important. Thirdly, he prays not only that, that their love would abound and, th and that they would approve things that are excellent, but thirdly, that they would be sincere and without offense. Look at verse 10 again. He says, I pray that you would be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Many of you have been taught that that word sincere is translated originally from a word meaning pure or unmixed. In ancient times, merchants would often patch cracked porcelain wax porcelain with, with wax so that people couldn't see the, the cracks. And so a merchant selling porcelain in those days would often want his customers to be assured of the integrity of the porcelain, so he would advertise that his porcelain that he was selling was without wax. Paul's sincere desire for the Philippians was that, was that they would be without wax, that they wouldn't be fake, that they would be pure and blameless in their conduct so that they could stand unashamedly before the Lord. And so Paul is praying four things for this church, that their love would abound, that they would approve things that are excellent, and that they would be sincere without offense. But the one we're going to park on today for just a few minutes is the final prayer request that he was offering up to the church on behalf of the church of Philippi. Look at verse 11. He says, and I'm praying that you would be filled, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory of and praise of God. Paul is praying that, you, that, that the church of Philippi would be fruity, <laughs> fruitful, that they would be flourishing in life and growth and spiritual health. And so Paul is praying that the lives of the Philippians would be a rich spiritual harvest, a spiritual harvest consisting of the fairest fruits of heaven, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Paul's praying for the church of Philippi, that they would be fruitful. How many of you love fruit? Anybody like fruit? We have some fruit fans in here. Raise your hand if you're a fruit fan. Good. Now, how many of you, those same people that just raised your hand that you're a fruit fan, you're not a vegetable fan? Amen. I'm not a vegetable. I'm not a big vegetable fan. Never have been. Meat and potatoes, maybe a little corn. I've grown and, and I've acquired a taste for broccoli. Now, raw vegetables, I'm, I'm kind of cool with. Lettuce, celery, cucumbers, carrots. Cooked vegetables, it must be something about the texture. I'm not actually, and, I, and come to think of it, I'm not really a fan of either cooked vegetables or cooked fruit. I'm weird that way. But anyway, I do love fruit. In fact, I love almost every kind of fruit out there, or if I don't, I'll, I'll at least try it. Um, fruit is refreshing. Fruit is uh, tasty. It's sweet to the taste, isn't it? But like anything, fruit that is real takes time to ripen and produce a harvest. Cultivating fruit requires patience. It requires protection. It requires persistence. It, it requires attention and intention. If you're going to grow your own fruit, especially, uh, there's a lot of patience, a lot of attention and intention involved in making sure you cultivate. I mean, you can't make the fruit grow. Some of y'all garden. Jimmy, where's Jimmy Dutton? Jimmy Dutton gardens. He's a big gardener. And um, 
Where's, uh, where's uh, Sheila Hill? Sheila, Scott and Sheila, they got a garden. She, she brought some good veggies last week. Sorry, Sheila, I didn't eat one of them. It's okay, though. Other, uh, I, think, I think my wife did and other folks did. But, but I don't think I've ever drove him, driven by Jimmy Dutton's house and heard, saw him out there screaming at those tomato plants, Grow! <laughs> if he was, I'd stop and say, Jimmy, are you all right, man? No, he's never been out in his garden hollering at his plants to grow because he knows he can't make them grow. And so it is with fruit. So many times, if we're not careful, we want to see growth in our Christian life. And we think, and sometimes even preachers, because they want to see change, they try to coerce it and force it and say, grow! But we all know that that doesn't really work. And what Paul is praying for here, notice, he's praying that they would abound in fruit, that they would flourish in a fruitful life. But notice who it's by. It's not by them and their self-effort. Notice, which are by Jesus Christ. You see, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not of their efforts to make it happen. And so Paul is praying for the church of Philippi that they would grow. And, And so the question then becomes, how does growth occur? Well, growth is a product then of right conditions and right environments. You can't force growth through self-effort, but you can, catch this, you can immerse yourself into an environment that is conducive to spiritual growth and transformation. The reality is here this morning, none of us can make ourselves grow spiritually. We can't. But what we can do is we can make sure that we're placing ourselves in a position and an environment where growth is most likely and best to occur. And so that's where Paul is driving into today, and and that's where we're going to be thinking for just a few moments as we meditate upon this passage and upon all of our desire in the new nature to be fruitful, to flourish, to be teeming with life. And so the question then is this, the key question for this morning is, what are the healthy environments for a growing faith that is fruitful? What are the healthy environments for a growing faith that is fruitful? Fruitful. Today's message will seek to answer these questions, and we're going to go through these six points very quickly. Um, but I just but I want us to see today that there are specific environments that we can place ourselves in or make sure that are a priority and a focus, and that's where we'll see growth occurring by the work of the Spirit in our life. So faith grows with intention and attention. As God works in us, He desires to cultivate fruit in our lives. This fruit is his product. It's his workmanship. We are his workmanship. It's all his doing, but it's going to result in our visible transformation and service. So what is our role in this? Well, growth is a product of right conditions. So if that's the case, where God calls us to is making sure that we're placing ourselves in the right conditions for that growth to to occur. So while we can't force growth in our own effort, we can't immerse ourselves in our faith into an environment that's conducive for that. So what are some of those healthy conditions that God desires for us to place ourselves in so that we can grow? Because I think that everybody, I'm going to assume the best about everybody in this room this morning, everybody in this room wants to grow more in their walk with the Lord, don't you? I mean, none of us would, would come in here and say, I've arrived, I have nothing to work on. I am always patient. I'm always exuding the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, If you walk in here with that kind of game, all we need to do is talk to your spouse for a little bit, right? They'll help us understand that might not always be the case. And isn't it true that sometimes the people we know the best, we struggle to love the most? So anyway, number one, what are some of the conditions? Number one, communication from the Word of God. 
communication, the first environment that we can place ourselves in to make sure that we're seeing growth and grace occurring in our life is communication from the Word of God. We know that the Word of God is essential. It's foundational. It's the life. It's the bread. It's the, it's the water of survival, not only of spiritual survival, but of spiritual thriving. Um, God has ordered that the first and most effective method of growth in faith is to receive the communicated Word of God. So really this morning, one of the most important ways that we can place ourselves in an environment of growth is being here. Being here right now, hearing God's Word preached, going to a small group, uh, hearing God's Word taught, talking about God's Word in that small group and how it applies to your life and how we live it out and how we take these, what sometimes seems to be disconnected truths to reality and show how they really do connect to our daily reality in life. And so communication from the Word. God's Word is alive with infinite truth, folks. We know this. It's so alive with infinite truth. And when we immerse ourselves in environments where we hear the reading of God's Word, where we hear the teaching of God's Word, and we're applying the Word to our life, God's Word will come alive to us. It will come alive to us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17 says. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as that what is really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What Paul's commending the church of Thessalonica for receiving the communicated word. And because of that, it led to their spiritual flourishing, their growth. And so one of the first environments that we can place ourselves in for spiritual growth is communication from the Word. Number two, the second environment that we can place ourselves in, we, we know that. We, we know if we've grown up in church any length of time, we know that, yes, pastor, it's the Word of God that feeds us. It's the Word of God that nourishes us. So, yes, clearly placing ourselves in an environment where we're hearing the preaching of God's Word, having it taught to us, we're talking about it with other believers who value the communication of God's Word, I know I'm going to grow, and that's going to happen in time And when you place yourself in that environment. But the second one is this community with believers. It's not just important to have the word communicated to you, say, via podcast, although that's a great tool. How many of you like podcasts? Anybody podcast fans out there? I am. I love listening to podcasts. I listened to two or three on the way home yesterday, what should have been a four and a half hour drive from Pensacola. Seven hours. Yeah. So I needed to listen to some podcasts to keep me focused on spiritual things, spiritual realities. But you know what? Podcasts are great. And online streaming, some are watching today via online streaming because they're sick and they can't be here. But I'll tell you this, I've had many of those folks who have been blessed by our online streaming and, and podcasts come and say, there's nothing like being here, Pastor. And the reason is, is because there's a relational quality to our growth that we need. God didn't call us to be loners. He called us to be a family, to grow in community together. God's greatest greenhouse for a growing faith is a local body of believers called the church. The early Christians were interdependent as they were ultimately dependent upon Jesus. They were a team. They were a family. Look at this verse in Acts 2, verse 42. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi that we just were reading about. But think about way back to the early church 
Notice this. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It wasn't just the teaching that was important. It was also that they were together. There was a, to, there was a togetherness. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And I love that word because it literally means this, sharing a common life together. What this means is, is that it wasn't just about community as believers in a crowd on a Sunday morning. But the, the spiritual environment, the reason the church was like shot out of a cannon and propelled and impacted the world in less than 40 years. I mean, it turned the world upside down, they said, in less than 40 years. The reason that happened is because they didn't just view church as something they did on Sunday morning. They realized that they weren't going to church. They were gathering as the church. They already were the church. They were a body of believers. And, and it was life on life. It was sharing a common life together. It was koinonia. It was community with believers. And so what value is that environment in our life? Well, great value, isn't it? Proverbs says that in a multitude of counts, there is safety. Um, we all know that if we get bent on a certain direction in our life and we have no one in our life to give us counsel, warning, admonition, we're in trouble. Last night, my wife and I were having a conversation with the youngins, right? You know, we love our kiddos and we love them. And so we're having a conversation about how we admonish and instruct and teach them. And we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. Pray for us for wisdom as parents as we're getting into this series on gospel-shaped parenting. Some of these things are hitting home. You know, as you study for these sermons, you're also realizing, wow, I need to step it up in some areas. And, and so what, what we need as a community of believers is to encourage one another. I love what Hebrews says. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching, provoke one another to love and good works. And so do you realize that we as a body of believers have the ability to provoke and stoke flourishing in our life, pouring fertilizer on, on those areas of our life that need to grow. And so they committed themselves to community. This early church committed themselves to community, to doing faith together. Look at this quote. Real Christianity is not a solo journey. God designed us to need one another. We need one another. Every person in this room, as I look across this audience today, we need you as a part of the body here. And here's what's so encouraging to see uh, recent new members already getting plugged in and realizing that community with one another is of vital importance. This isn't a solo journey, folks. God designed us to need one another. He calls us together to encourage, to worship, to edify each other, to pray for one another. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to do this alone. So what does Satan try to do, though? Satan knows that a church that is together is an unstoppable force. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what does Satan try to do? He tries to divide and isolate. Why? Because he knows that a church that is together is unstoppable. But a church that is separated over all these other... And this is why Paul, one of the things he prayed for is that you would approve things that are excellence. Keep your eye on the big picture and the mission. There's other important things in life, but don't ever lose focus of the most important. And so Satan tries to divide through all different kinds of ways. And he tries to isolate us and, and make us feel like we're all alone. I want to challenge us this morning that we would... See when the enemy is doing that and push back through the power of the Spirit and say, no, 
enemy, I'm not going to let you push me away from community. This is what I need. If he can keep you from church, from gathering with other believers, he can keep your faith weak. But if you want a healthy and growing faith, then my challenge to us today is immerse ourselves into a biblical church and develop strong community with other believers. So communication from the word, community with believers. These are two environments that we can place ourselves in to see spiritual growth happening in our life. Number three, communion with Jesus. The first two growth environments are more externally focused in the sense of these are environments where you need to be externally, be receiving the word, be in a community with believers. This third one turns more to the internal reality, and that is communion with Jesus. The first two growth points were more focused on external support for our faith, but at some point in our growth, this cultivation of our faith becomes very personal. And so part of the goal of the Christian life is learning to spend daily time with Jesus. And really, that's what our new heart wants. It really does. I love Psalm 1, verses 2 and 4. It says, But his delight, speaking of the blessed man, the man who is flourishing, a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season, says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This, this man that's being described here in Psalm 1, which I believe is ultimately pointing to Christ and ultimately pointing to who we can be in Christ, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. This was a very personal walk that this man had with God. And the fruit of that is that He's a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. Think about the reality of Jesus and His human life on this earth. Jesus needed communion with God. In his humanity, he needed communion with his Father. Daily, personal. In the morning, rising up a great while before day. I'm so glad God didn't put a certain time there. Although I'm sure that that could probably be uh, alluded. Maybe that's 4 a.m., right, Pastor Don? 4 a.m., he's an early riser. But Jesus rose up a great while before day, and he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. You know what Jesus was showing us there in, in that example? is that even he in his humanity needed communion with his Father. And so if Jesus in his humanity, showing us what life is all about, placed such a priority on it, it was at the beginning of his day, then I think that we can glean from that that one of the greatest environments for growth in our life, again, we can't make growth happen, but what we can do is sit at the feet of Jesus, commune with him, read his word, just spend time just being still before him, that's an environment that all of us need. And so I want to encourage you that if you're not right now producing or, 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 or setting aside that kind of environment, make that a priority this week. And watch how over time, it won't happen overnight, but over time, over seasons of growth, you'll see God transforming your life. So God uses the communication from his word to grow us. He uses, communi he uses community with believers to grow us. He uses communion with himself to grow us. Number four, God also places us sometimes in the environment of cataclysmic events for growth. We know the verse, Romans 8, 28, it says, All things work together for good to them that love God. And that verse is given in the context of a creation that is groaning, that is going through trials and tribulations. But ultimately, that, that, that verse doesn't stop at the end of verse 28. It keeps going, and it says that, that God wants to conform us to the image of His Son. He wants to grow us. And we all can say that there's been times in our life when cataclysmic events 
have been the environment of some of our greatest times of spiritual growth and strengthening. I love this quote, real Christianity isn't a problem-free life, it's a promise-filled life. God doesn't say that we're not going to have any problems, but he does promise to be with us through the problems, through the tribulations, through the trials, through the heartbreak, through the brokenness. We all face problems and hardships in this life, but now that we have a relationship with Jesus, we will no longer face these problems alone. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, We will fear no evil because he is with us. He doesn't take us out of the valley, but praise God, folks, he walks with us through the cataclysm. He walks with us through the valley. And what a great comfort for us to know if you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, just remember it's a shadow and shadows can't hurt you. You see, Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection has made death a shadow of its former self. He's defeated death. And so this great shepherd of the sheep does not pull us out of the valley, but he walks with us through the valley because he is with us. We have his presence there in the valley to comfort us. We have his truth to guide us. We have his promises to claim that we have his wisdom to see the bigger picture. Will we allow cataclysmic events to flatten us or to fortify us? Will we see the events in our lives through the eyes of faith or the eyes of unbelief and fear? Every cataclysmic, catch this, every cataclysmic event can become a catalyst for growth if we respond in faith, holding on to the promises of God. I've seen that recently. I've seen that recently in my own family's life, in my, aunt, in, in my aunt's life, Aunt Deborah, and how she has gone right there through uh, over five or six months of, of my Uncle Ray's health struggles and, of course, the struggles that eventually took his life on Thursday afternoon. But I've seen how she has responded. I've seen how she has kept her focus on God and on her faith and how that strengthened her. Folks, we all go through cataclysmic events. They can either become the great catalyst for our growth if we respond in faith or they can become a catalyst for harm if we respond in fear. So the challenge is that we would hold on to the promises of God. Real Christianity isn't a problem-free life, but it's a promise-filled life. If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, our typical response to trouble is, God, get me out. That's our typical response. Lord, deliver me. But a growing faith would choose to look at some of those and say, Lord, grow me through this. Many times we say, God, get me out. But per, per, perhaps the prayer should be turned and say, okay, God, if, if it's not to get me out of this current situation, grow me through this situation. Help me to know that you're right there with me through the valley. And that when I get to the other side of the mountain, up out of the valley, I'll be the stronger for it. I'll be the more flourishing in my Christian life because of it. You have taught me a lot in this area over the 10 years I've been your pastor. I've seen many of you go through losing loved ones, go through sickness, go through debilitating times. And your faith is stronger because you kept your eyes on Christ. You became more fruity. (laughs) You became more loving. You became more compassionate. You became more patient. The fruit of the Spirit is now evidence in your life more because you went through those times. And so many times, the environment of cataclysm... Now, this is the one that we don't want. 
You know, this is the one that we're like, all right, I'll take communication from the word. I'll take community with believers. I'll take communion with Jesus. But cataclysmic events, many times that's the greatest source and season of our growth. Number five, another we can place ourselves in is compassionate service. God gives us grace, not that we would become a cul-de-sac, a circle, but that we would be a conduit. God gives us grace that grace would flow through us. He gives grace to us so that grace, grow, grace flows through us. And so he says that God, God calls us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, so another great environment that we can place ourselves in is in an environment where we are serving with compassion those around us. God doesn't merely intend to bring us into community with other believers. That's that second environment we talked about. But he doesn't do that just so that you are sitting there in a community with other believers doing nothing. No, his desire is that we would bring others into community with us. And so he uses the environment of compassionate service to grow us. The next passage of scripture I'm going to share with you, I hope, and it's my prayer that all of us would be like this guy. If there's a guy that we can emulate our life after in the area of compassionate service, it's this guy. Are you ready to see who this guy is? Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. I love this passage of Scripture. One of my favorite in the book of Acts. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, this is speaking about Paul, who's just been saved. All right? Paul's been saved a very short time. He comes to Jerusalem and to, to, to join the other disciples. He tries to connect himself to community. <laughs> and they're like... Yeah, Paul, we know who you are. You're that, you're that terrorist who was killing Christians. You were on your way to Damascus, and you were going to lock up all the Christians. You're going to tell us now you are one? I mean, it'd be like if Osama bin Laden walked in church next week, and he said he's now a believer. You're going to be like, yeah, right. I mean, granted, I mean, it's going to be very tough to believe him. And so there was a, there was a period where the church wasn't too accepting of Paul. Because they're like, Paul, you've been killing us. You were standing there and, while Stephen was being stoned, man. We're not letting you in here. You're just trying to play a trick on us. And somehow, I don't know what it was, but, but somehow Barnabas. I mean, I love this, but Barnabas. Somehow Barnabas knew that what Paul experienced was real. And notice what Barnabas did. Look at what compassionate service looks like, guys. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You know who Barnabas was? He was somebody who was an encourager. That's literally what his name means, son of encouragement. And my prayer is that here at our church, we would have a lot of Barnabases going around seeking to take new converts and converts who have not yet grown and encourage them in their Christian walk, encouraging one another in the Lord, provoking one another to love and good works. This is what Barnabas did. Barnabas believed in Paul. Barnabas knew that what Paul had experienced was real. The rest of the church didn't, you know. They didn't have Facebook back then, or they didn't have cell phones. All they had was word of mouth that had traveled. And maybe some of it had heard vaguely, man, did you hear what happened to Paul? But, but their context was completely different. And, and so Barnabas stood in Paul's corner. Barnabas had Paul's back. Who here in our church do you have their back? That you're supporting them. That you're encouraging them. 
that when they're, and of course, this was a disagreement. I mean, they're in verse 26. They're like, no way, buddy, you're not coming in. That could have been real awkward. <laughs> you know, of course, it was there for a while. But then Barnabas comes in, and he's the one that smooths things over and says, no, 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 guys, this guy is the real deal. He's not trying to trick you to get into the church and see where all y'all live so he can come kill you in the night. This guy really got saved. He's really now a follower of Jesus. And isn't that incredible? You know, I don't know the tone he had, but, but I'm sure Barnabas was like, Paul got saved. Paul's a believer. Man, this is going to be awesome. Oh, do you sense the enthusiasm? I, I think he had it. I mean, yeah, that's probably putting a little bit more there in the text than should be, but, you know, I'm giving some interpretation right now. But Barnabas had to be excited about the fact that Paul got saved. He's like, Paul got saved. But you know what? I think Barnabas was that pumped about everybody that probably got saved because every person had a story. Whether it was the guy who was murdering Christians or, or the person who grew up their whole life thinking they were a good person, never did anything really outwardly bad, but they still needed Jesus. Barnabas was excited and he was serving in his church. Man, our prayer is that we would catch the heart of Barnabas, that we would keep that heart as we grow. Man, what, a, what an environment for growth, right? I mean, think about, we always talk about Paul. And Paul's great. Paul, Paul wrote 12, 13 books of the New Testament. But don't you think that Barnabas is going to be standing right there with Paul and all the things that, that Paul was able to do for Christ? I mean, where would Paul have been without a Barnabas? Mm. Give us a Barnabas generation that would be compelled with compassionate service. What an environment for spiritual growth. And then finally, continual cultivation. Continual cultivation. These, these first five environments, uh, communication from the Word, community with believers, communion with Jesus, cataclysmic events, and compassionate service. Great environments where we will see growth occurring in our life if we will place ourselves in those environments. But then the reality is, is that is a continual process. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, a few verses before our passage today, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, listen, this is going to be a continual reality in your life. God is cultivating his fruit in your life. Each of the five growth points that we've mentioned here involve a gradual work of God's spirit in our lives. It isn't instant or overnight. Boy, sometimes I wish it was, you know. It'd be great to just have all the fruit of the Spirit, poof, overnight. That's not how natural fruit grows. That's not how spiritual fruit grows. Even Jesus grew and matured in his humanity. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. So our spiritual growth in our humanity is, is a journey of maturity. It takes a lifetime. But what a life of growth and discovery as we learn more of who God is and who we are in him. Notice that Paul says that his prayer is that their love would abound. Back in verse 9, their love would abound, that it would grow, that it would overflow. Ultimately, all these prayer requests that Paul had for the church of Philippi culminated with a fruitful, flourishing life, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding him, listen, it's not you that's going to produce the fruit. He produces the fruit. But what you can do is place yourself in the right environments for this growth. So just like physical fruit, spiritual fruitfulness does experience different seasons. 
there are some seasons where the fruit flourishes and we see a great harvest of God's working in our lives. And then there are other times where you go through seven or eight months, right? I mean, there's not always a growing season with fruit. There's a planting season. There's a plowing season. There's a, there's a watering season. And then there's a harvest season. So on some days, you're going to get out of bed and you're going to be ready to serve the Lord. And there's other days where you're going to feel like you got run over by a truck five times sideways. You know, you're just going to feel bad physically. You're going to feel down emotionally, and, and, and that's going to affect your spirit, spirit. And so at times you're going to sense God speaking straight to you through his word. At other times you're going to wonder, why have I gone through such a long season of silence? Sometimes God will answer your prayers as you hoped for. And then other times you'll pray and it'll seem like you're always getting a no or a not yet or a wait. If your faith rests on the fruit that you can see, you're going to be in trouble. If your faith rests in visible results or in your sensory experiences, you're going to be in big trouble. If your faith rests on predictable circumstances or controllable events in your power, your faith is going to let you down. But if your faith rests in Jesus... It will never fail. Why? Because Jesus never fails. Real Christianity is a faith journey, which means it's not always visibly measurable or mathematically sensible. It's not always experientially pleasant, but praise God, a relationship with Jesus that's growing is always spiritually hopeful. And so God tells us, grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus will always be with you. Jesus will help you through every hardship. And Jesus will give you strength to press on. Let's pray.